Hey everybody, Mike Claiborne here. Welcome to the podcast here on ClaibsOnline.com. And of course, we love talking different things when it comes to sports. We're going to talk some hockey today with one of my good friends and one of the best writers we have in St. Louis when it comes to writing hockey and anything else. Jeremy Rutherford has done a lot in his career, starting with the Post-Dispatch and now with The Athletic. And now he is the beat writer, or basically he covers hockey because he covers a number of different things in the sport. But he does a phenomenal job, certainly with the Blues, and was part of that great run last year. And with him not having much to do these days, I thought I'd just rattle him up and see if we can talk to him a little bit. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. We love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed, and they're able to tell five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. So first of all, JR, how are you, sir? And uh, hopefully you're holding up well. Doing very well, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And I'll tell you what, uh, there could be a morning skate, a game, a press conference, a signing, all that stuff in one day, and I'd still uh, find a way to uh, to call you back and talk to you. I love talking to you, be on your show, and thanks for having me. And one of the best dress writers in the business, too, I might <laughs> add, folks. Uh, he He's come a long way, and to watch him now compared to some of the un- unmade beds that call themselves uh, media personnel, uh, he, he's doing a super job on that. Hey, I, I, first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about the game. Uh, a lot of rumors, a lot of things. You hear comments here and there. Give me your impression the current state of the National Hockey League as you see it today. In terms of trying to get uh, hockey back on the ice, it looks like they're they're looking at uh, late May, uh, early June in terms of the players coming back to the practice facility uh, with the idea that they have had about a three-week training camp and uh, potentially play a little bit before uh, July. So I think uh, it's a situation where it's still possible we could see the conclusion of this regular season in a Stanley Cup award. You know, what's interesting about that notion, trying to come back and having a training camp, you know, this isn't like in baseball where you can throw on the side and you can hit in the cage, or if you're in the NBA, you can find a gym to work out in, and certainly in football, there's somebody who can throw you a pass. In hockey, you need a sheet of ice, which means you have to go to a rink. And if you don't have a rink that you can go to that's open, it's pretty hard to stay in skating shape. So what are you hearing with regard to what players are trying to do just to stay ready? Well, I've talked to a number of them. And, uh, you know, if they're all being honest, Mike, they're saying that they haven't been able uh, to skate. And now I know a bunch of these guys live in these uh, small Canadian towns. And obviously they know everybody at the rink and is since guys slipping them the key to get in there and skate by themselves, perhaps that is going on. Uh, but in terms of those facilities, you know, around North America being open and allowing these guys to, you know, assemble and, and really get a workout, 
that's not happening. And, and so you made a good point there. Uh, baseball, you can hit in the batting cage. Uh, you know, I know it's not live pitching. Basketball, you know, all these guys probably have gyms in their houses uh, to shoot at. Uh, but with hockey, biggest thing is you know, the groin injuries, the legs, you know, the hip flexures. And a lot of times you'll see that even when they're skating in the months leading up to training camp, they get to training camp and you start getting into to game action and guys go down in training camp and they're out a week, they're out two weeks, and they're trying to get healthy as the season's starting. So now you got a situation where they're not ramping up, they're not skating, they're not doing all those things. So that's why I think it's going to take more than – you know, what we were talking about uh, earlier in the uh, spring, that, hey, maybe let them play two or three games and jump right into the season or jump right into the playoffs. That's not going to work. I think the Players Association, the league, both of those realize that, and so that's why they're talking about the extended training camp. Well, with that being said, uh, if you have a good organization as far as minor league players, you're going to be at a little bit of an advantage where you're going to have guys in the Blues case some players with National Hockey League experience this year that may end up getting a little bit more run than maybe some other teams who are a little thin as far as having players NHL ready. Where do you think that's going to stack up things? Because we've already heard about the AHL saying we're done for the year and we may not be back next year if we don't have the opportunity to have fans. But when you look at the Blues and how they're set up when the season resumes and going to the playoffs, do you like what you see as far as their personnel that they can provide? Yeah, isn't that going to be something? It really is. I mean, normally in, in a long playoff run, like you know it, uh, you're talking two, two and a half months, um, you're going to need 28, 30 bodies. Uh, you know, Larry Plo and even Doug Armstrong, they say you go 10 deep on defense in the playoffs uh, if you go the distance. And so now you have a situation where you're likely going to have injuries. So what the league and the PA are talking about is bringing some sort of taxi squad where they're going to start this quote-unquote training camp and and get back into the season with a 30-man roster, expand the rosters like they have in, in baseball in September all these years. And so you look at the Blues situation, and you know I don't know exactly how it compares to some of these other playoff teams in, in terms of uh, what you got in the cupboard, uh, but you have a Nico McCola, look, a 6'5", uh, defenseman who got a taste of the NHL looks pretty good. Jake Wallman's bounced back uh, and had a, a really good year in the minor leagues. Uh, and you have some guys up front. Clem Costin uh, had a had a slow period at times during the season, but it was a better year. It was a step for him. So they've got some players who are going to be around and who are going to come to camp. And, and uh, you don't know what what's going to happen to the regulars, but if there's an injury, we could see one of these young uh, guys step into the lineup. So I think that's going to be something certainly to watch if this thing gets up and going again. You mentioned the Players Association. Let's talk a little bit about the current status of the CBA earlier in the season. The NHL not elected not to trigger the reopener clause. So with this pandemic that's taking place, it shut the league down. Uh, players and owners are going to probably even have to work closer together to come up with some sort of idea of how the rest of this season is going to look. But certainly going into next year, because now we're talking about a flat cap and where is the revenue going to come from? And certainly a ticket and concession driven sport compared to TV for uh, some of the other sports like the NBA or the NFL. This is really multifaceted, uh, as you know. Uh, that was good news months ago when both the uh, league and the PA decided not to reopen the CBA, you know, let it play out a couple more years uh, as is. We all figured that uh, when when the CBA expired, uh, it could present a problem again in terms of, you know, potential work stoppage. But I think 
you know, you don't want to talk about bright sides with this pandemic, but I, I do think one uh, silver lining, Mike, is the fact that uh, the league and the PA have had to work very closely to figure this thing out. And from an outside perspective, you know, just, just reading some of their comments, it seems like the relationship is as good as it's been. Now, is that somewhat built on both of them have uh, the same priority, and that's to make money, and therefore they need to get out on the ice? Yeah, it is. But it seems like they're having good dialogue to the point, Mike, where they have talked about let's get these CBA talks going. So, you know, if you had any fear about a work stoppage, whether it be uh, this upcoming season or it uh, being at the end of this uh, CBA, I think the fact that uh, they are having better dialogue and the fact that, you know, look, they don't want to be out now for this pandemic, lose $1.2 billion, and then in a couple of years have a work stoppage and now they're out more money. I think both sides are working to get this done, get back out on the ice this year, and then uh, keep those talks going so that they can extend that CBA. What are you hearing with regard to the safety concerns in the National Hockey League? I know every sport's going to probably start off without fans, but what are some of the other safety concerns? I know testing obviously would be on the table, but what are you hearing from players and, and certainly front office personnel with regard to the sticking points that may arise? Yeah, and it's pretty fluid. Uh, you listen to the league, and you know, one report one week says that they're talking about the pod system and then the hub cities and and I think that has started to fade somewhat just because of the player concern about being quarantined, you know, in a city away from their family for two and a, two and a half months. So, you know, now they're talking about playing in the home cities. Mike, everything I hear continues to be uh, playing without fans. I was talking to one Blues player uh, the other day who, you know, he, he said that uh, they, they've got to consider everything that could potentially happen, even things that we're not thinking about right now. Let's say they resume it, they get into the playoffs, game three of the second round and now all of a sudden the guy in the penalty box you know if you have officials in the penalty box you know test positive do you, do you shut everything down so uh, I think that uh, you know the player that I spoke with even though the Blues have a good chance to do well in the playoffs and, and potentially uh, repeat this is a guy who said that they need to take this uh, extremely seriously so you know obviously they will that's why they formed the return to play committee they're trying to iron out all these things but as you know um, you can plan 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 all you want but some things are just uh, unforeseen so so we'll see what happens but i can tell you that uh, blues players who want to get back out on the ice don't want to rush this thing you know what's interesting about this situation uh around the turn of the last century there was a influenza epidemic that took place that shut down the national hockey league in its fledgling years uh not that they have anybody who's around that can tell them how they handle it but it, they are the one sport that had to deal with a health crisis that really curtailed their season and, and almost shut the league down for good because it was at a, such a young stage that uh you know there were a lot of people who wondered if they was ever going to come back and obviously it has yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Were you doing podcasts during that, or how no? You know that? what, though, I was. I went to a couple of skates, believe it or not. So, if you let some people tell you that story, but it, it was an interesting time from what I've been able to read about. Uh, yeah. But, but you make a good point about uh, players when you have this much time, and not just players, anybody. When you have this much time to sit and think about what if and what about, well, if this happens, what are we going to do here? The, the question, I think, more than anything else, Jeremy. And for you and certainly in our industry, how far can you draw that perimeter within reality without trying to create a, a migraine headache, trying to overthink it? It's a great question. And nobody really 
has the answer. And, and when you're talking about uh, trying to get going again, which we're all going to have to do at some point, you know, in terms of sports and society and, and everything, um, you can outthink yourself. So I think the biggest thing is just going to be to take as many precautions as you can. And if that's playing without the fans, then so be it. Look, if in 10 years we're looking back at this and saying that we got through it, but oh yeah, but one year uh, they had to play this thing without fans, then, then that's what it took. And, you know, that's just one element talking about not having the fans, but you know, whether it's the testing, whether it's the quarantine or, or whether they get to the end road here, Mike, and they just say, Hey, we have to bag it. It's not worth the $1 billion that we're going to lose uh, to, to have this thing spike up again. I, I just think that uh, they're doing the right thing right now, putting together uh, the committee and trying to, to talk this out. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic is our guest today on the podcast. And let, let's get local here and talk about the St. Louis Blues organization. Uh, one of the issues that has been ongoing throughout the season is uh, Alex Petrangelo's contract. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. And who else is a person that the Blues and Blues fans ought to start paying attention to with regard to a contract coming up down the road that's going to create another eyebrow raiser? But let's let's start off with Petro. And my first question to you on him, how much has this pandemic changed his contract situation with regard to the, a, the blues resigning him and other teams who would have had an interest? That's my first question. The second one is with there being a potential flat cap and maybe not the growth that everyone expected, is he more apt to just take something short and local or will there still be some teams that say we still have money and we still think we can we can do well as far as accommodating your long-term concerns yeah all great questions i think this pandemic has turned the alex petrangelo contract negotiations absolutely upside down and first and foremost you have to say it every time uh, there's greater things to be worried about than him making nine million dollars a year but if we can set that aside for one minute and just address how this affects alex petrangelo and the blues Look, in a normal uh, world, he's going to get paid $9 million uh, roughly by the St. Louis Blues or somebody's going to give him more money and he's going to decide to go somewhere else and it's going to be on a long-term deal. Look, Alex Petrangelo at 30 years old is not going to Florida on a three-year deal or Vegas you know, on a a two-year deal to make $10 million at this point in his career. The money was going to have to be substantial. I think for him to leave and, and to leave on a long-term uh, basis. Uh, so now you have a situation where the cap looks like it's going to stay flat at that 81.5. And if your other teams around the league, yeah, you can go to cap friendly and see that team X has, you know, $15 million to spend. Uh, but are they going to pay Alex Petrangelo 10 or $11 million uh, to leave? And if they're not, if they can't give him a long-term deal, does he want to go somewhere else for a couple of years, I don't think he does. I think if he does a short-term deal, which he said the other day in the, in the uh, Pierre Lebrun article, he's exploring all of his options, everything's on the table. If he's going to do a two- or three-year deal to get past this cap uncertainty, to me he's going to do it in St. Louis. And so uh, I'm not saying he's going to take a short-term deal, but this is all going to be part of the negotiations with Doug Armstrong and his agency, Newport. The thing is, the holdup here is, they don't know what the cap's going to be, so there's really no reason for him to talk right now. So that's why everything is just on hold. You're going to need a cap. 
You're going to need some negotiations, see where the Blues stand. And, uh, you know, I know people have kind of written Alex Petrangelo off, saying the Marco Scandella contract, you know, you can wave bye-bye to Alex Petrangelo. That's not the case. I've talked with enough people. They still prioritize signing Alex Petrangelo. If it means moving other bodies after they get Petrangelo in the fold, they'll do it. Uh, they just got to find a number, Mike. You know, when you think about his situation uh, at the age of 30, you know, sometimes you have guys that just say this is a good comfort zone. But the other element to that, Jeremy, and, and you've seen enough of these contracts, these long-term deals that we see guys in the NHL sign for some reason really just don't work out. Uh, you know, you're four years in, maybe five at that, mo- at that point, and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, do we need to buy this guy out? We can't move him because his cap number is too heavy. So you have to think that some of these teams, and obviously the ones who haven't signed a long-term player, they've got to think about this for a little bit and say, wait a minute, do we want to tie up that kind of money in a guy for that period of time, even though he's 30 years old? But to be on the hook at the end of his career, man, that's a cap killer also. You're 100% right. We could list uh, you know, a dozen guys, just one guy that comes to mind, Brent Seabrook. They win a couple cups, and, and Stan Bowman decides to pay him you know, long-term big bucks, and you know now they're, uh, you know now now they they can't get out of that mess. And so, but, but they got I, rid of Stan, though. <laughs> they they yeah. took care of him. <laughs> right, but they, uh, you know, with Alex Petrangelo, he's thirty years old, and does an eight-year deal. Um, you know, let's just say at eight million dollars. You know, does that get it done? It could. Do people worry about Alex Petrangelo at thirty or eight years old? Yeah, you probably do. But here's the thing. You've kind of already made your bed by giving Braden Shen the long-term deal, uh, eight years plus he had a year left. Justin Falk, you bring him in and you give him a seven-year deal. And Doug Armstrong, I know people know this, but Doug Armstrong's doing that to lower the AAV, the average value, each year. So he's got Shen at six five. I think uh, Falk's right in there at about the same number. And he's doing that because he believes the championship window is right now, the next couple years. And so, yeah, you're going to have to, you know, do something five, six, seven, eight years down the road with a lot of these contracts. But in the meantime, Doug has already shown that he's willing to give up that term for the possibility to keep this thing going. And if you take Alex Petrangelo out of the mix because you don't want him at 37, 38, and now all of a sudden he's gone, do you still have a team uh, that can win it? And uh, if you do and you take him out of the mix and you don't win, you're still stuck with, you know, these Shannon and Falk contracts for long term. So I think once you start to go down that road, as Doug Armstrong's already shown us that he has, you almost have to follow through with it. And, and last thing I'll add is it's not to say Colton Preco can't hang, you know, can't, can't do it. He could. I mean, you could let Alex Petrangelo go and, and, and see what uh, Preco could do. Uh, but I just think that Alex Petrangelo really proved himself the past year and a half with his leadership, with his play, and uh, he's been doing it for a long time. So it, it's just something that, you know, Doug Armstrong's going to have to sit down and, and weigh what makes sense. Let's throw this into the equation. The, the way Doug Armstrong has handled his organization as far as the draft choices are concerned, you touched on some players earlier that are almost, if not NHL ready, to help ease the transition from some of the older players to some of the younger guys. And by the time they have really blossomed, the Blues could have a four, five-year run where they're consistently in it. Now, obviously, you're going to miss on a draft pick or somebody's going to get hurt or somebody doesn't live up to what you expect. 
But for the most part, he seems like he's got a lot of components already in place to be able to step right in if he needs to move a person in order to keep Petrangelo or some other players down the road. Yeah, you look at uh, Doug Armstrong and the job he's done, and you could probably point to a lot of qualities, Mike, where you say, you know, he's just got a knack for that. But to me, the one big picture thing that he has done just so brilliantly is be able to build a core, but also have that core underneath that that's coming up and, and you kind of mesh them together and just keep the success going. I mean, we can go all the way back to, you know, when he came in, he had a veteran team, you know, not a horrible team. And, you know, all of a sudden you bring in a Tarasenko and a, and a uh, Jaden Schwartz and you start building that thing. At the time, you still got the Oshies and the, you know, the Berglins and the Bacchuses and, and, and those guys. But then you move them on and then you got players who can come up underneath them and play. And, and so that's why when you look at the, the 10-year uh, success that the Blues have had with uh, Doug Armstrong, I think they're top five in points percentage in the 10 years. To me, that's the number one thing that's been allow, uh, allowing this team to continue having that type of success is just because he's evolving the roster and making sure that next wave of players is ready. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic is visiting with us. All right, JR, uh, what other players down the road, let's say next year or the year after, that the Blues need to start thinking about on how they're going to pay him? Uh, because you you got guys like Vince Dunn and some other players who really emerged, but you know they want to get in line too and get paid. And then you got a situation goaltending-wise where you committed to Bennington, Jake Allen is near the end of his contract. Uh, The goalie from San Antonio had a better year because he wasn't hurt as much. And the Blues have a couple of other young kids in goal that they really would like to get a longer look at as well. So where do you see the next wave of contracts that will come up where the Blues are going to have to make some tough decisions? Yeah, Mike, I think the first one is uh, Vince Dunn, but he doesn't have arbitration. You know, that's this summer. Everybody's talking about Petrangelo, but let's not forget about uh, Vince Dunn, it's going to be tough to squeeze him under this uh, cap too. But looking, you know, a couple years uh, down the road, um, you do have uh, Jordan Bennington has uh, one more year left on that two-year deal, kind of a, a bridge type thing before they wanted to give him a big payday. You got Jaden Schwartz coming up. Uh, you know, he probably on the whole in terms of game one to game 82, uh, you know, hasn't hasn't completely done it to the point where you ha- you'd have to pay him $7 million a year. Uh, but we saw what he did in last year's playoffs, and I know this team really values him, so he's not going to be uh, cheap. Then uh, you look at the Colton Parekos. Uh, I don't have the contract in front of me. I think he's got two more years left on that. But um, this is a guy, especially if he takes over that number one role for Alex Petrangelo, is, is going to cost you. Um, and then in a couple years from that, uh, that's when uh, O'Reilly and, and Tarasenko are both up at the same time. You're getting them on the cheap I think we could agree uh, $7.5 million for a Conn Smythe winner, uh, $7.5 million uh, for a guy who can score you 35, 40 goals. Uh, might not sound cheap, but it is when you look at some of these 11 and $12 million contracts these guys are signing. Uh, so I think that's what you're looking at uh, for the Blues for the next couple of years. They're in pretty good shape, uh, but if they continue to win and, and some of these guys continue to play they, the way they do, uh, then uh, Doug Armstrong is going to have some more tough de- decisions ahead. And I'm not sure if it's going to be that tough because I think when you look at guys like O'Reilly and Tarasenko at that stage of their careers, right. do you anticipate them getting better? Because they, they want to be paid as if they are. 
And I'm just not sure if that much hockey is going to be left in either one of those guys to commit to a contract that could kill you down the road. Yeah, no, out of all the guys that I mentioned, those are probably the, the you know, you don't know about Tarasenko just because his health and does he come back and, and what does he do. But I don't think at age 33 you're looking at giving, you know, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, you know, $10 million plus. So, you know, I think it's a situation where we're more concerned about, you know, what's a, what's a Pareko cost, what's a Bennington cost. But, you know, I know his save percentage and goals against haven't been – you know what he was able to keep, uh, to put that standard at last year, Mike. But the wins are there. Uh, he's like games. He's near the top of the league. You know, is he going to be a guy who's a six, seven million dollar goalie? Uh, that's going to eat into that cap, uh, and we don't know what the cap's going to do. So, uh, to me, uh, you make a good point, and those guys are the guys that are on the back nine at that point. You know, the last couple holes. Uh, but I think that uh, the Blues are going to have enough other up and coming players. Uh, that are going to cost them, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and, and see where things are at at that point. Jeremy Rutherford, uh, you have come up with multiple lists during this downtime for the athletic, and I think we've all seen enough lists to to hold us over till the next pandemic. But my question for you is: <laughs> while you can't necessarily pick a return date, uh, where do you think we can start to see more movement, and also? There, there's so many things that we hear and we get bits and pieces. What's the one thing you're just really tired of hearing about or reading about and you just come to the conclusion it's just total bullshit? Yeah, well, the first thing is I got a list for you. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, it, it's tough. We're trying to keep the readers uh, active and listening and, and uh, reading. And so anyway, uh, trying to come up with some uh, unique creative content it's uh it's, it's been a little tough but we, we've got some stories coming hopefully in the next couple of weeks that uh, will keep people uh busy uh, you know in terms of reading stuff that you just grow tired of you know i i think that it's it's got to be you know when are they coming back um what are they going to do with the regular season what are they going to do with the playoffs and you know, Mike, if this were any other thing, if this were just some work stoppage over money, I get it. We could talk about the greed. I'd be hearing from people who aren't coming back to the game. I get it. But, you know, this is a pandemic. This is something that none of us have been through in our lifetime. And they got to get it right. And so, you know, just some criticism that you hear about will they play, will they won't play. And, you know, I, I grow a little bit tired of that because this is just something that, uh, that there's no playbook on this. There, there really isn't. So you can, you know, hate Gary Bettman all you want for some of the work stoppages. Uh, but this is a situation where uh, it does them no good to come out on a Tuesday in May and say, we're going to do this when we all have no idea uh, what's going to be happening three weeks from now. You know, Gary Bettman is one of my new best friends since the All-Star break. So, we're, I mean, since the All-Star game. So we're good <laughs> on that front. But, you know, I'll tell hey, you what. You guys shake hands there, huh? Oh, yeah. We, we He was at this one event I was at, and, and I knew Gary from his days in the NBA. And we had a couple of good laughs about some things that he and I had crossed swords on in the NBA when I was in the agent business. And uh, he he remembered it like it was yesterday, which was a little frightening. But uh, you've been around him enough. I think, you know, he's the longest tenured commissioner uh, of, of our four major sports. And when you look at what he's done, and I know some will say, well, he broke the union and he did this and he did that. He, he has still put them in a better financial position than anybody had ever envisioned at this point. And they still have great opportunities to grow. 
And, and one of the other things that, that I think they've done is done a better job of marketing individual players and getting them involved. And let's face it, they kind of stumbled on that, that backup goalie story in Toronto with, with the cur- Hurricanes. But, man, that was one of the ones that just garnered attention for people who didn't even know anything about hockey. They knew it was a guy off the street that came in and had to try and save a game for somebody. But, you know, I, I understand what he's doing, and maybe they did need to be broken at that point because guys thought that they were – they should be paid the same thing that NBA and, and NFL players were, were getting paid. The one problem there is they didn't have a TV contract. And that's how yeah. these other sports are get, being able to pay some of these players. But but the I'll tell you my the one that is starting to bug me, and, and you've heard this before, I had a player tell me blank. Well, you know, first of all, the players really don't know much more than you or me or people who cover the sport. And so for you to val- validate your own credibility by telling me a player told you, all you're telling me is you know a player. Well, we all know players. Yeah. And, and they'll tell you, they'll call you and ask you, what are you hearing compared to them having the know-it-all answer? So that was, that was starting to wear on me as also. Yeah, no, I thought you said you had a player call you a blank. No, no, they, they may have, but not in this situation. But it's just the fact that you yeah. hear it all the time as if they actually are that deep in the loop. You you, you touched on it. The league no, and care. the players aren't going to come out in the middle of May talking about what they're going to do, that they hope they can get things started in July. I mean, we're seeing the, the early stages of baseball, and they've been working on it much like the other sports have. But, you know, we're all, as you said, we're all in the dark on this. We've never gone down this street before. We're still trying to figure out where the lights are. Yeah, and, you know, this isn't to try to sound any more informed than, uh, than the players because I'm not. But the one thing that I've – you know, learned over 15 plus years, 20 years covering the team is um, they are in the dark on a lot. And yeah, do they have a representative uh, with PA that can fill them in on, on what's going on? Yeah. But I mean, you know, we've, we've all got players texting us, you know, what have you heard? And uh, I think that uh, we had Braden Shen on our podcast. Uh, uh, we went blues uh, the other day and uh, he said, basically he's just hearing and seeing the same stuff that we're all seeing. So, no, that's a good one. Yeah, if there's one thing to grow tired of, it's somebody telling you that they know a player, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are in the hockey business, so we all kind of know somebody. Hey, Jr., it's always a blast to visit with you. Uh, tell us when we can hear your podcast. Yeah, it's uh, usually later in the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It posts uh, last week, uh, Braden Chen. We've had Brett Hall, uh, Colton Pareko. I think this week we're going to have uh, – Robert Portuza. We had Ryan Reeves a week or so ago. Uh, so some pretty good guests and uh, Barrett Jackman co-hosting. So he's got a good uh, credibility with these guys. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it, Mike. So thanks for asking. But uh, usually uh, post it up at The Athletic or wherever you get your podcast uh, later portion of each week. Well, you mentioned Barrett Jackman. When it comes to credibility, you won't meet a better person. Um, one of I, one of the guys I've truly come to respect on and off the ice, watching him grow within the organization and, and play with the heart and courage that he did and just what kind of guy he was off the ice. Uh, you, you, you have a very good defense partner to work with, my friend. I get a good uh, defense partner. You're right. If he had a better co-host, this podcast would be taken off. <laughs> so, so you know, so what you're saying is it's kind of like Bobby Orr making Dallas Smith's career because of the fact <laughs> that somebody had to stay back and, and guard the net. I, I get it. I understand. Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right. Hey, Jr. As always, great to hear you. Uh, great to visit with you. Keep up the great work with the athletic folks. It's the best subscription 
you can ever invest in when it comes to sports. Uh, there are a lot of things out there these days, but the athletic from top to bottom, I read just about everybody there. There's one guy I refuse to read, but just about everybody else, and certainly in hockey, uh, they do a phenomenal job. And if you haven't, go to athletic.com and sign up. It's the best investment you'll make all year. JR, again, thanks, man. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Hopefully we'll be talking about some games down the road. Anytime, Mr. Claiborne. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Mike Claiborne. Of course, this is ClaibsOnline.com. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. We love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed, and they're able to tell five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. 